Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds and those who don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the Sassio Podcast, where execution is like the NFL Conference Championships. Every play is critical, and every play can be game-winning. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you grow from traction to scale. Here, growth is more than just numbers. It's about crafting a future-proof company, premium valuation, and leaders who build a business of significance while living epic, adventurous lives. The NFL playoffs have been going on the past three weeks, and this weekend the final four teams played in the two conference championship games. The winners will advance to the Super Bowl. Both games were really good, and some crazy things happened. In one, a quarterback threw a 15-yard pass to himself. How does that happen? We'll link the replay in the show notes. It is just ridiculous. In another, an interception, it was just a sure interception, went right through the defender's hands, bounced off his face mask into the receiver's hands. Again, crazy. Unpredictable, but that's the fun of it, right? Emotional highs and lows, both for the fans and the players as well. Both of those plays were notable because of mistakes, and there are dozens of other mistakes and, and dozens of great plays. Big shout out to the 49ers and Chiefs. It's going to be a great Super Bowl and uh, a rematch of 2020. All four teams were exceptional. The Cowboys are out. I was hoping that the Lions would make it because I just love a good underdog story. And their coach, Dan Campbell, is a solid guy and from Texas as well. So you got to love that. But business parallels a gridiron of football amazingly well. Every play relies on coordination and split-second timing, where each player's precise execution contributes to the team's advancement downfield. If everyone does their job flawlessly, every single play is designed to score. Of course, not every play does, right? It'd be boring. But similarly in business, aligning diverse players in different departments or roles toward common goals is a lot like running a well-planned play on the football field. On the football field, I mean, every lineman, receiver, quarterback, running back, I mean, everybody has a specific role, yet their actions are interdependent and they're independent as well. They have to do their own thing. And each player has to trust their teammates will execute their assignments flawlessly. Now, teammates are very dependent on each other for success. And this level of coordination is what businesses strive for when aligning cross-functional teams. Here's how this plays out in the corporate world. One is having a clear playbook and defined roles. Just as in football, every player knows their role on each play. And that can be the same on some plays. It can be different on other plays, but everybody knows their role. They know what they're supposed to do. And in business, clarity in roles and responsibility is absolutely key. Just like being on the field. Each team member should know not only their task, but also how their role fits into the larger strategy. And this clarity minimizes overlaps, gaps, and ensures a cohesive effort towards the common objective. Think about this, back to football. Imagine telling an alignment, just stand there and get in the way with no other context. That's just, that's weird. That's a thing. Context matters. Every player has to understand how their role fits into the big picture. Why do they matter? 
And it's really important that your team knows that as well. Second is trust and communication. On the football field, players trust that everyone knows and will execute their part. Similarly, in business, fostering trust and open communication across departments ensures that everyone moves in sync. You know, regular check-ins, transparent sharing of information, that's a tough one, and collaborative problem solving. Now, those are hurdles where strategies are formed and refined. Second, trust and communication. On the football field, players trust that everyone knows and will execute their part. Similarly, in business, fostering trust and open communication across departments ensures that everyone moves in sync. Regular check-ins, transparent sharing of information, it's tough. And collaborative problem-solving sessions are the huddles where strategies are formed and refined. Number three, agility and adaptability. A football team has to adapt quickly to the changing dynamics of the game, and those can change instantly. We saw a bunch of that this weekend. In business, cross-functional teams need to be equally agile. Market conditions, customer needs, technology can evolve rapidly. And teams must be ready to pivot their strategies, just like a quarterback might change the play at the line based on the defense he faces. In this model, the role of leadership is akin to that of a head coach guiding the overall strategy, making crucial decisions, and ensuring that every part of the team is aligned and motivated. When cross-functional teams in business operate like a well-coached football team, each playing their part to perfection, the organization moves steadily towards its goals, maximizing gains play by play, project by project, sprint by sprint. So let's take inspiration from the football field, whether your team's won or lost in the playoffs or maybe even this season, and bring that level of precision, coordination, and teamwork into our cross-functional collaborations. Here's to playing a winning game in the business world and an awesome Super Bowl. Our expert guest last week was Reagan Bashara, founder of All Ease Accounting. She brought great finance and tax strategies along with tips to make finance easy. And then last Tuesday was trailblazing founder and CEO of Exactly, Chris Cabrera. Chris led his company to the forefront of the RevOps industry, outmaneuvering giants along the way. We talked about his journey and most importantly, his new book, The Unicorn Fallacy. It's a great read. You got to pick up a copy. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Sahil Patel, founder and CEO of Spiralize, which boosts clients' revenue through data-driven designs and rigorous A-B testing, transforming insights into increased web conversions. Very cool. Prior to Spiralize, Sahil was CEO of ER Express, which he led to a successful exit. Welcome someone who takes big swings and delivers big wins. Sahil Patel. Hey, Sahil, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, Jeff, thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so thanks again for having me. I'm So right now, I'm the CEO of Spiralize. We are a predictive conversion rate optimization company based in Atlanta. I've been here about two years. Before Spiralize, I ran a healthcare SaaS business where I was the founder and CEO for 10 years, we were then acquired. I stuck around for a year to help with the transition. 
And the way I got to Spiralize was I was actually an early client back in 2016. Didn't know anything about what CRO was. I didn't really know how to use it or what the value was. And it just so happened Spiralize is here in Atlanta. And just through networking, I knew the founder. And he opened my eyes to what it could do and had a really big impact on ER Express. And so I watched he had done has done an amazing job building Spiralize. And after I left ER Express, he was looking for a partner to just help take the company to the next level. And it was a great opportunity. It's been a great ride already. That's fantastic. Uh, you, you exit a company and then walk right into another one. How has it been you know, having been a client and really understanding what that journey is like, what the experience is, and then stepping into that role of leading the organization? Yeah. Um, yeah, what's it like to go from being a client to actually working at that company now being on the other side of the table? I think it's a it's a great experience. I would say I'd recommend it, but I, I don't know that you can ever engineer it, <laughs> even if you wanted to. Uh, I don't think I could. I think the thing that I find it very helpful for is, and I spend a lot of my time on sales and business development, working with new clients and prospective clients, is helping them understand how conversion rate optimization works from the outside looking in and as I would say from a layperson's perspective, as a non-technician, non-expert, non-statistician, I think it's very easy to get lost in the, the statistical underpinnings or the philosophical. And by the way, those things have their place. But I think most of the time, the, the decision maker, the check writer, that chief marketing officer, the VP of demand gen, those are the folks we most often work with, but they really want to understand what, what's the business impact and I've got scarce resources. Why, why should I spend time on this? Right. So conversion rate optimization is a term we hear in the industry. What does that really mean? How does it work practically? Yeah. So conversion rate optimization and A-B testing, and I'll say for the purposes of today, we can use those words somewhat synonymously. They're not the same thing, but I think just for your audience today, for everyone joining us, let's just keep it simple. The idea is you take the traffic that you already get. Most companies are spending a lot to get that traffic. They're doing right. EC ads. They might be doing paid social. They might be running an event strategy. They might be... They certainly, hopefully, are doing SEO, which is a yes. long Tons of resources to get traffic there. And what conversion rate optimization does, CRO, is it converts more of that traffic that gets to your website. You spent so much time and energy and money on. You want to convert a higher percentage of it into a customer or prospective customer. Just You want to let your website be your most valuable machine for getting new customers. Now, what does that mean? If you're an e-commerce company, you're selling shoes on the internet. I don't get as many people once they get to your site to put some shoes in the shopping cart and then finish the transaction and buy. Right. If you are a B2B SaaS company, by the way, that's our customer, B2B SaaS. Nice. You want them to typically do one of two things that are most valuable. First, if you have a free trial, typically if you're a kind of product-led growth type of company, you're gonna get as many people 
actually starting that free trial because that's the beginning of the customer journey. Right. Number two, if you are a sales led or at least have a sales motion, you want as many of your audience to click that and fill out that talk to sales, get a demo call to action. Now there's lots of other ways to engage and convert your audience to read content, download content. Those are really important. But if I had to focus on what drives actual revenue impact for our customers, it's turning that website traffic into prospective free trials or sales meetings. Absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense. And, and a lot of us don't do that exceptionally well. We get uh, website traffic and, and conversion. There's, some of it, I think we don't think of ourselves like an e-commerce company does, where I mean, they're really focused on getting traffic to the website and through that funnel, whatever it is. And for whatever reason, I think in SaaS, we think more of when to get people there, consuming content value, and it's less asking, less true optimization, pushing them down that road. And I can't tell you how many free PDFs I have sitting in my hard drive right now. I've never read <laughs> and never will. Thanks for the value. I'll get to them one day, but you're right. The real value is the demo. It's talking to sales. It's booking an appointment. It is downloading a free trial and actually starting that. Yeah. So that's the goal. Headline goal, take the traffic you have, get more of it to convert. Now the, the secret sauce is how do you do it? So one way, say that kind of the historical way is you build a website that looks beautiful and it tells your brand story. By the way, I'm not here to crap on uh, anyone in branding <laughs> or to say that branding is not important. Really, important. Sure. <laughs> I don't want to go there. But telling your brand story is only part of the job. Because if you have a beautiful website and positions yourself really well, but none of that traffic converts into free trials or sales conversations, your B2B SaaS, there's not a ton of value you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Your website should be a demand generation, lead generation machine. That's historically a lot of attention and energy to create a beautiful website. The second part of the equation is get the website to actually perform and create leads for you. How do you do that? One way is you sit around with a white room or in a Zoom and say, well, what could we do? We should, we should move the buttons around. We should make the form shorter. We should put the dog CEO on the homepage. I heard that'll work. <laughs> right. We should have pictures of happy customers because it'll evoke this emotional reaction. By the way, not all wrong ideas are bad ideas. But you make that change. Does it work? How do you know? Yeah, you could do a before and after, but you don't really know. And it doesn't it, really move the needle. No, yeah. it, it could move the needle, but you won't know. Was it luck? <laughs> did, you, did you happen to launch a campaign right when you made the change? Maybe right. that drove the increase. Right. Did your competitors start bidding on your keywords? Ooh, that's a good one. You could make a really, absolutely the right change, but your overall number could go down. Now, I'll borrow from another industry. FDA drug trials, right? consider hmm. the gold standard in knowing, does this medicine work? You have a new drug, you're not going to put it out in the market before you put it through a drug trial. And when you do a drug trial, what 
you do. You get two groups of people. You want to make sure that they're very similar, right? Similar distribution of men and women and age groups and whatever. And then you randomly give half of them the placebo and half of them the drug. Ideally, they don't know which one they're getting. And then you measure which one made the difference. It's interesting because sometimes people who get the placebo get better. It's called the placebo effect. Right. So you're trying to separate out the placebo effect, trying to separate randomness and measure is there meaningful difference for the people that got the real drug and the people that got the placebo. And that's what conversion rate optimization and what A-B testing does. It takes your traffic. Let's say you have a start your free trial page and you have a thousand people coming to that page every month. Use just round numbers. What we're going to do is create two versions of that page. And half, 500 people, will get the placebo, your normal version of the page. 500 are going to get a different version. This is the experiment, the variant in the experiment. And the traffic split is going to be random. So if you get a lot of people coming from an ad campaign, it will affect both populations equally. I should say sample, not populations, both samples equally. If you get a lot of people that come on weekends, that'll be in both parts. They will help reduce the bias. And then we're going to measure it and say, okay, out of 500 people, maybe you had a 10, a hundred people do the free trial in the control placebo. And on this one, you had 150 people sign up for the free trial. You want to run the, you want to run the test long enough. It wasn't chance pure luck that the variant worked. Let's not go too deep on the stats for the moment. And we're going to do that over and over again, not just once, not just twice, and run lots of variants because it could be the imagery. It could be the copywriting, the the benefits, the value props. It could be the overall composition. It could be how you organize the form or what you put on the form. You want to test all those variables. So you find the optimal, the highest conversion rate. That's what we do for our clients. Now, let me stop there and I'll talk about, there's a lot of companies that do it really well. We do something that's exceptional and unique. But before I go into that, let's just talk about, let me stop there because you might have questions talking about what is this? Why do people do it? What, what's good? What's good CRO? What's bad CRO? How quickly? Can you make those changes? And once you decide that one's working better than another, do you just go with that one and you've got another challenger? And so you're constantly running these experiments? Yeah. So to get the best results, you want to do what you just described. You should be continually, you should have a like a bank of test ideas that you're ready to launch. So you run a test, you find a winner, you make that the new control, and then you run the next test right behind it. Easier said than done. The reason you want to run continually is that testing is a cruel game. Hmm. On average, kind of industry average, but this is not our statistic, this is kind of industry average, only 11% of tests beat the control, which means you need to run 10 tests to find one winner. Wow. All right. Now, what that means is what some people tend to do is they default to what I call meek testing. 
Neat testing is we're going to change the button color. I heard that if you make your buttons orange, it gets people's eye. We're going to move it from the right, the button from the right side to the left side. By the way, it might work, but those kind of meat tests are unlikely to really move the needle. Sure. That's the first kind of CRO crime. The second CRO crime is relying on anecdotes. Now, if you have nothing else, an anecdote is not a bad place to start. So Russell Brunson did it this way. So therefore, this is how I should lay out my page. That's exactly right. <laughs> now, just because some other company did it, or even if they did a test, does it mean it'll work for you? Maybe not. And it turns out testing is hard work, right? You've got to get the copyright. You've got to build a second version of the page. Hmm. Yeah. Right. And multiple so that's, second that's versions. All of those things. And here's what often happens. You, you, you build a, a CRO program. Everyone's really excited about it. You've been sold on the dream. We're going to get, it's free money. We're already paying to get the traffic <laughs> to our website. Right, right. If we can get even 10% more, it's big impact on our financial performance. And here's what happens. There's some low hanging fruit. You run the test, you find a win. Everyone's excited, show to the CEO, send it to the board. Look, we did this one thing. We changed the button color. <laughs> it worked. Let's run another one. I heard, put the CEO's dog on the homepage. Okay, great, let's do it. Yeah. Maybe it works. You get lucky. And then you've picked the low hanging fruit. And it gets And a then it bit stops harder. working. Yeah. I, I don't know if it stops working, but it gets harder to find the wins. Yeah, They're that makes sense. Far between, and they tend to come in smaller increments. Because you're chasing those pretty, false positives. Yeah. And your, your, C, your CMO checks in and goes, hey, how's the, uh, how's the A-B testing going? Hey, it's, it's going well. Hey, it's experimentation, culture of experimentation. The key, it's not about winning or losing. It's about learning. Now, here's the reality. It's not wrong. It's really important to learn from your testing. Here's the fact. Your board doesn't give a shit about your learnings. What your board cares about is performance. Yep. And as this, I say this as this, a two-time CEO, what the board cares about, your CEO cares about. Six months in, your CEO comes back and says, hey, how's that whole A-B testing coming? We've got a board presentation. Last time we did this, we had this really cool slide. Showed how we were getting more customers through our website. And hmm, we've got some learnings. You might guess how that goes over. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with meek testing and the problem with testing on anecdotes is that you get a low win rate and you will learn something and you absolutely should harness the learnings, by the way. I'm being a little bit flip here. You should always, you don't learn from what you do, you don't. but <laughs> it becomes very discouraging. And before long, like many things, CRO and A-B testing starts to feel like it's fading, sweep it over here under the rug and go, yeah, we tried it. It was nice. It's time to try something new. 
So is that because they tried nine times and they didn't do the the tenth to find the the one winner? Yeah, or they tried nine times and they yeah. did find one winner, right? But it's a very okay. we know it's a what have you done for me lately world. Yeah. Gotcha. If you find the one win in the first quarter, which often you will, reasonably smart people will pick the low hanging fruit. <laughs> And then you run nine tests and on law of averages says nine out of those 10, what will happen is about eight out of the 10 will be neutral. They'll be either slightly better or slightly worse. Not enough to say we found something that warrants changing the experience. And one will probably be worse than the control. And you're very quickly, this was not <laughs> a good idea. So just think about it. if you were a, I'll borrow sports analogy. Uh, it, it's like baseball. If yeah. you go to the plate 10 times and you get on base once baseball is an extraordinarily hard thing to do, especially if you're talking about pro baseball, but even yeah. in pro baseball, which is hard. If you're batting a hundred, 10% of the time you make a base hit, you're not going to stay in the majors very long. If you want to raise your game and get better alignment in your team, check out Champion Leadership Group. It's the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone on the journey. We're kicking off a new growth accelerator scale up this month, and I would love for you to be a part of it. You've navigated the startup storms and emerged victorious. Now it's time to elevate from success to significance, from traction to scale. No fluff or wasted time, just the high-impact strategies you need at the right time. We focus on capital-efficient growth, profitability that lasts, and achieving the kind of valuation that's not just impressive, but impactful. You'll gain access to a network of peers, custom growth map, and the new SaaS Fuel operating system that aligns your team to focus on what really matters. If you're ready to crank it up to 11, visit championleadership.com. It's where leaders evolve. And companies transform. Yep. Same is true for AV testing. If you bat a hundred, you're uh, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the funding. So that's the prime. It sounds like I'm beating up on AV testing. It's difficult. The win rate's low. People do these meat tests or they do anecdotes. They don't realize why on earth would anyone do this? And their conclusion is well, it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, it doesn't you know, work. They're all the same. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. And the old cliche, 50% of MarTech spending is wasted. We just don't know which 50%. So just, this must be in that 50%. Yeah. Now, here's the thing we found. By the way, we found this through a lot of trial and error, because right? we're smarter than anyone else. One, to win big, you got to swing big. So we don't bother with meek testing. Now, is there a place for small subtle, precise things. Yes. But that should be a small piece of the pie. You want most of your testing to be big swing tests. Reimagining the experience. The big swings are the ones that get big wins. That's number one. Number two, whenever possible, get data, which means more than an anecdote, more than an N of one on tests other companies have run because your best predictor is not seeing copying blindly what your competitor did by all means benchmark do research look at sure. your competitors of course but if you can get some aggregate data by the way it doesn't have to be big 
even a small sample of tests. So you have some sense for, has this test been run multiple times? If it has, immediately provide some validation. So it turns out if you run a test, if a test ha has been run multiple times and it's one, your odds of it working for you go way up. That's a hard place for a lot of companies because they don't have that background of data. They haven't run all those tests. And it would really be pretty amazing if there was a, a place that where you could get that and, and build on other people's successes instead of start from zero. That's right. And there's a lot of ways to do it. And your listeners are smart people. They probably are guessing where I'm heading here is to say that Spiralize is the place that you can get it. It's absolutely true. I don't want to use your podcast as a 45-minute commercial for Spiralize. I'll give you that, give away the ending to the movie. That's what we do. That's our secret sauce. I think what's more interesting though for the users is what options do they have? Should they chuck the CRO program? Should they do CRO testing on their own? Should they hire a partner? Whatever they do, how do you make the, how do you make it worth the investment? And let's put aside what Spiralize does. I think if anyone's interested in it, go check out spiralize.com. And, and you can figure out if it's a good fit for you. Here's what I would do. The first thing is, first, don't settle for meek tests. Right? Button color changes, moving commas around, you can do better. Right? You should Nothing should be off the table to reimagine the whole page. It's number one. Number two, there are places you can go to try different tests and look at. And a great thing to do is your end, but doesn't need to be in the thousands or even in the hundreds. What I would do is pick 10 companies. By the way, this is a great assignment for an intern or an entry-level employee. Okay. Pick 10 to 15 websites. Don't pick ones just in your vertical, by the way. Good advice. You can learn things from other companies. Now, look. What an e-com company does, what booking.com does, is it relevant to you as a B2B SaaS company selling cybersecurity software? Uh, probably not. Okay. But if you're a cybersecurity company, for example, go pick seven or eight cybersecurity companies. I would say then go pick seven or eight companies that sell to a similar audience. And by that, I mean, they might sell into the IT or the IS department of enterprise companies. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of companies in that space, not just cybersecurity. Okay. If you are selling HR and payroll software, you can find five or eight companies that do it, but also find five or eight companies that maybe sell into HR, even if they're not payroll software. And just an intern, just have them go there every day, go to, there's four or five pages that are worth looking at. You don't have to catalog the whole site. And you can, if you open up, let's say their talk to sales page, one of those valuable, most valuable pages, B2B SaaS, open it up in a couple different browser windows. If you do one incognito, one regular, if you do it a couple of times, you'll be able to see if they're running a test because you'll see two different versions of the page. Screenshot it, save it to a file, put a couple notes on what's different and do it 
And what you're looking for are patterns. Now, are you going to know the statistics of what's happening behind the scenes? No, but you can learn a lot and you're not going to be relying on a single data point, an N of one. Hmm. An N of five is better than one. An N of 10 is better than five. An N of 15. And this is practical, feasible, low cost. And you can do it. It'll also be a rich source of ideas. Because there's many yeah. more, I think there's many more ideas outside your four walls than there Always. are inside your four walls. Yeah. That's really good advice in being able to, to see what's out there and just getting different ideas. And the other industries that are selling to your ICP, I mean, that is gold right there. And just understanding what their journey is like, how they've built it. And what is it that looks good there? What may apply from there to your business? And I want to give your listeners, I want to give our listeners kind of two concrete examples. We've been talking in yeah. concept, keeping an eye on the clock. So the first one is showing the product. So it's amazing in B2B SaaS how often B2B SaaS companies, myself included, don't show their product. Now, let's borrow from another industry. Imagine a car ad. Picture the last, what can you think of, Jeff, what's the last car ad you saw? Probably a, a Ram truck. Yeah, a Ram truck. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. We can all picture what the Ram truck ad looks like. It's a big truck. It's probably climbing a, a mountain road or a desert. God, does, it, does anyone in the audience drive it on that? <laughs> Small sliver. <laughs> Most of them are driving around the suburbs of Atlanta. Right. 30 miles an hour, taking their kids to soccer practice. Okay. Right. But the image is very clear. Everyone can picture it. Now imagine the same ad without the car in it, without the truck in it. You'd be like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> the picture of a desert. <laughs> <laughs> it's a campground with people using camping equipment. Now, the analogy is in B2B SaaS, what are people buying? They're buying your product. What gets them excited? Let me tell you, it's not seeing happy people in a conference room going, Right. These stock images of happy people. I, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been to the conference room. Sitting in a conference room <laughs> brings people joy. It's the opposite. Drains the life out of everyone. Pictures of the product. Showing your product. So a, a, a test that we have seen perform really highly is you take your, your sign-up form. It could be request a demo, request sales, start your free trial. And you just put a picture of the product behind the form. It's a really simple idea. Hmm. And it, certainly we've seen it done and, and we, because we run this test, we, we know how to do it artfully, but even done in a simple way, it communicates so much more to your audience. They see the picture. Okay. I'm buying software. It looks pretty cool. Oh, there's some cool things in here. Right. And I don't think you have to have a hard, a long conversation with the product marketing team to say, Give me the screenshot that creates the wow moment when we do a demo for prospects. Yeah. yeah. Your sales team knows what it is. They do. Yep. Your, product, your product marketing team knows what it is. That's what you pay them. Absolutely. For. Get that screenshot. Put it behind your form. It's a great test to run. By the way, we didn't come up with this idea. I just want to be really clear. Like, I wish we had. There's a company called Smartsheet. They make an awesome product. And they were the first company we saw run this test. 
and we shamelessly stole it. So if anyone from Smartsheet is out there, thank you. Incredible idea. And I don't know, maybe they borrowed it from someone else. But what I know is borrow from the best. Yep. If something works for someone else, I want to run the test. It doesn't mean I'm going to blindly just implement it, but I'm going to run it. So that's the first idea, show your product. There's a lot of ways to execute it, but you're going to communicate so much more and create excitement and intrigue. Now, one thing we like to do is we add a little bit of blur to the product screenshot. And I think of it like if you're checking out a car, not buying, you're in the parking lot, you see a cool car. You kind of want to like, I walk by and I look in the window a little bit, not in a creepy, weird way. There's a little bit of, there's tint on the window and just a little bit of, huh, what does the inside of that car look like? Yeah. It's the emotion you're trying to create. All right. That kind of, hey, I can't quite see what's happening here. It looks cool. Okay. I have to fill out this form, whatever. I'll put in my email address and yeah. I'm going to get to see something cool. So that's the mystery, one. the intrigue. Yeah. I've got to yeah, know that open loop. Yeah, let your product do the same. The second one I would do, give your team, this is a great exercise to do with your website, is I think we, all of us in marketing, we build a landing page. We hire an agency to do the PPC ads. We torture over the ad copy. And then we make this landing page and we go, hey, more is more. The SEO industry has fed us, put lots of copy because it'll rank better. Tell, sell the product features, sell the benefit, sell what's different from competitors. You end up with this really dense page. And a great exercise is take your, take your two places out of it. Do it on your homepage, do it on your landing page. Right click in a Chrome browser, Google Translate, and pick a language that no one on your team speaks. Arabic, Urdu, Hindi. I say that I'm Indian, so that's languages that I know most people around me don't speak or read. But more importantly, put your homepage in, in Arabic, put in Urdu, and then have have a couple. Ask your spouse, ask a couple of friends to wow. guess what your company does, and it'll show you how much lifting the words do, yeah, versus the images. Okay, we think that people are going to pour over the landing page because we put so much blood, sweat, and tears into it. But the reality is they're going to skim it. They're going to yep. look at a couple things. They're probably multitasking. And you got to give them, I call it skimmability. Create something that's real quick. Am I in the right place? And your high intent audience, they're going to say, yes, I am ready to convert. Start my free trial or request that demo. Your medium and low intent. By the way, if you're running a PPC campaign, that's who you're typically getting. The kind of traffic sure. is low and medium intent. They're going to go, huh, maybe I'm in the right place. Let me read a little bit more. Yeah. So they're going to look, and what they're looking for is, hey, you're making, you're selling me on some benefit. Is this, is, is this benefit credible? They're looking for signals of credibility. Are you backing up your claims? Do you, what kind of companies do you work with? And so show some social proof is so powerful. There's no one thing that's going to work for everyone. And so experiment, you could run a test. We've often found combining forms of social proof has the biggest impact, right? Mm -hmm. So three tests I love to run is run a test with your client logos. Right? You want to pick representative but impressive logos that people have heard of. Now, if you're a smaller company, you may not have a lot of those. It's okay. I've been there too. If you're a 
medium to larger company, you probably have at least three or four of those logos that you love to show off. Yeah. Put them as high on the page as possible to I'll run a test with just logos. Then I'll run a test with logos plus a testimonial from a customer. What we found is particularly with the mid-market size company, whatever mid-market means for your audience, those medium-sized customers, they tend to convert better when you provide a testimonial. Hmm. They're looking, you're looking to answer a question. Do you solve problems for people like me with problems like mine? Third, I love to run a test with those and then also adding trust badges. There's a ton of trust badges out there. There's no one that's going to work for everyone, much less your audience. It's going to take some trial and error or ideally AB testing to know, hmm. does your audience put a lot of stock in G2 or Captera? Or maybe right. just a star rating. If you've got a great star rating, say, hey, 3,000 people have reviewed our product and we have an average four and a half rating. Oh, that's really, really good. Uh, absolute gold thinking about uh, different ways to do that. I love the, the translation. What is it that we're selling? <laughs> because I think for most companies, you would do that and somebody would look at it and go, I have no idea. And, uh, <laughs> and that's a problem. I do it all the time and people will be like, oh, they sell sweaters. And then you click, you refresh the page and it's accounting software. Right. <laughs> Maybe related to sweaters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's really good. And in, in thinking about how you convert, just how, what that perception is like, really mapping out the, the journey. Yeah. Jeff, we should wrap up here. I've really enjoyed yes. being on and getting a chance to share. Thank you so much for hosting me. Hey, absolutely. Where can people learn more about you and about Spiralize online? Yeah, there's two places to learn a little bit more. One, go to spiralize.com. Two, on LinkedIn, I post some CRO nuggets every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7.30 a.m. Eastern. Outstanding. And we'll wrap up one final question. And that is if somebody wants to start conversion rate optimization, what is one simple step they can take today on their website that will get them some sort of a signal, positive or negative? First step. Yeah. The very first step I would do is just measure how much of your audience is converting. Right. So before you implement a CRO program or anything like that, or hire some people, got you don't hire an agency <laughs> first just take us take stock of hey, today we get 100 people visiting the site what percentage of them actually fill out that form and what i would do is if you have someone who has a little bit of knowledge in google analytics segment that data separate your organic traffic and your paid traffic because mm. they behave very differently yes your organic tends to be very high intent your paid is going to be, I would say, low and medium intent. That's really good advice. Well, Sahil, thank you for being on SaaS Fuel. Really great conversation and such great advice. So many nuggets out of this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks again for having me. Thanks again, Sahil, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. You can learn more about Sahil and Spiralize at spiralize.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. 
And of course, full episodes, shorts, training, and more are available on our YouTube channel. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with a friend. Spread the word. Everyone who shares this week gets a touchdown toaster. It burns your favorite NFL team's logo right onto your morning toast. Just the thing to kick off game day. Join us Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, where my guest is Andrew Bartlow, founder of Series B Consulting. We'll get his take on how scale-up tech leaders can be more strategic and more successful. And next Tuesday, we have James Roth, Chief Revenue Officer of ZoomInfo. We talked about how sales has changed, what's working today, and he's in a great position to know that, and the personal growth required to successfully transition from individual contributor to executive leadership. Very cool. I will see you next time, and as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!